Welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast, your monthly source for conversations and curated content to improve your law practice with your host, Rocky Deer. Hi, and welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast. You know, I've been hosting this podcast for a little over two years now. Before COVID-19 entered our lives, I used to look forward to opportunities to record episodes in person with a guest sitting across from me so that you could be part of a real, honest-to-goodness conversation. More often than not, however, we recorded episodes remotely, the guest and I in our respective locations, sight unseen. Then one fine day, the amazing folks at Legal Talk Network informed me that we'd be using Zoom to record our sessions. Mind you, this was before COVID, or the Rona, as the cooler kids amongst us might say. But now when we record an episode, the guest and I can see each other, albeit remotely, no matter where we are located. I love it. I love it because you get to participate in a real, honest-to-goodness conversation again. As lawyers, we should do everything remotely. We should use tools like Zoom, Teams, Google Hangouts, Cisco, WebEx, the list goes on. We should use them all the time, don't you think? I mean, yes, not seeing people is kind of a drag, but this this is a whole new world. What could possibly go wrong? Elizabeth Rogers knows what can go wrong. She, along with William Smith and Lisa Angelo, participated in a panel discussion on June 25th, 2020 for the State Bar of Texas Annual Meeting on Demand. The title of their panel? Privacy Issues Related to Video Conferencing and Cloud-Based Programs. It was an hour-long panel that included a quarter hour of ethics. In case you missed the discussion, Elizabeth here will give you some insights and some highlights from that very informative panel. Elizabeth is a partner at Michael Best and Friedrich in Austin. She practices privacy and cybersecurity law. Elizabeth has tons of street cred when it comes to cybersecurity law, but here's a fun fact. She was the very first chief privacy officer in Texas state government, having served in that capacity for the controller of public accounts. Elizabeth is no miser with her knowledge either. She's an adjunct professor at the University of Texas School of Information Management, where she teaches in UT's brand spanking new master's degree program in identity management and security. Elizabeth, you've got your hands full, so an extra special thank you for joining us. Welcome. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here, Rocky. Well, it- As you know, we don't have much time for these episodes, and this is a very deep topic, so I'm going to jump right into it, if you don't mind. And so, you know, I'm just a lawyer who loves to practice law, and I don't understand all this kind of technobabble stuff you guys talk about. Is that an acceptable mindset now from an ethical standpoint? Not anymore. Ever since February of 2019, the Texas Supreme Court adopted the ABA model rule for the ethical duty of technology competence. So even before COVID-19, lawyers had a brand new duty that now exposed them to potential ethical violations in the state of Texas um, for not keeping up with quote unquote relevant technology. So the question becomes back then and even more so today, what is relevant? What is relevant technology that we need to be aware of from an ethical viewpoint. So let's just say I'm a, I'm a small town solo practitioner, right? And I've, you know, I grew up in the era of fax machines. It, I don't know if you're old enough to remember fax machines. I certainly am, you know? And so we, we grew up in the era of fax machines and certified mail return receipt requested. How do I go about educating myself? What are the steps that I should take? 
Absolutely, that's a great question. So, well, the first, I can't help but direct any attorney, whether they're a solo practitioner or otherwise, to the State Bar of Texas Computer and Technology section. Um, You're good. You've done this before. <laughs> you, I, I feel like Robert De Niro from Analyze This. I'm like, you're good, you. You're good, you. <laughs> well, that's mission accomplished. Um, my, my goal is to enrich our membership um, just because everyone has a different perspective. You're right. There are those attorneys who did not grow up in the world of just the internet highway, the internet superhighway. And so for them, it's really a, a, a steep climb. It's a vertical learning curve. But there's so many resources available now through the State Bar um, to help with law practice management. And those courses are available in the CLE On Demand. So um, it's very apropos that you asked that question. I think even going to the um, session that Lisa and Will and I spoke about will help someone get up to speed pretty fast about what issues they need to spot. So the title of your program talked about the cloud. Tell us what the cloud is. I mean, I think there, there's, for lawyers especially, and I think the technology folks will probably laugh at us as a profession, but there's a lot of us that either don't know what the cloud is or are very skeptical of this term called the cloud. So can you explain mm -hmm. what that is? Absolutely. Um, so basically the cloud is a software invention, a software creation versus a hardware storage mechanism. So the cloud is something that anyone can access via their browser, their web browser mainly. Um, and they usually have an account. They can log in, they can upload documents, they download documents. So a good example for the attorney who is solo or in a small firm is a box or Dropbox, um, a, a place where they can store all kinds of data, usually hopefully separated. They can separate their books, their QuickBooks from their actual client matters that are confidential, all the way up to separating even their email applications. So things live on the cloud, databases live on the cloud versus an actual server that's in a closet that someone locks up. So. Mm -hmm. Even though it may seem mysterious and in obtuse and um, sort of unobtainable, it's actually more secure. They're, the options to secure the data in a cloud are often better than securing the data in an on-premises hardware server. So I'm, I'm trying to think of this, again, just trying to think of this from the perspective of somebody who's maybe new to all this or is, is just unfamiliar or maybe... Honestly, in, in the case of people like me, it's maybe a little trepidatious about what all this means. You know, there's there's a certain amount of fear and skepticism when it comes to something you can't feel in touch. So when I store something on my laptop, I know it's in the laptop on my hard drive. What you just said a second ago is that it's often safer and more secure to put stuff in a software platform that I can't see in touch. So ethically, for a lot of lawyers, we feel like, well, if I've got something physically that I've got control and custody over, I feel much better versus something that I can't see that's more intangible. Can you kind of talk me through this? Why is it safer to put something on a cloud over something that is in my physical custody and control? Sure. That's a great question. That The difference is that 
some hardware is not encrypted. For example, your laptop. Um, not every laptop is encrypted. The options for security in the cloud are much greater in many respects than the hardware, the actual server on the ground or your laptop. You might accidentally leave your laptop in your car under the passenger side seat. And by the time you get out of someplace you have stopped, your car window is broken and your laptop is gone. Um, mm. In the cloud, there are encryption options. You can have a private cloud versus a public cloud, depending on the data you're storing. So if it's not confidential data, you can have a hybrid cloud and, and put part of your public information in the public cloud and then have a separate cloud only that belongs to, you know, Elizabeth Rogers uh, mm -hmm. law office in the private cloud with encryption options, only you would have the, you know, the owner would have the key, um, the actual cloud provider would have the key. And also the, the advantage to that, Rocky, quite frankly, is a lot of law offices that are small don't have the resources to maintain either, right? So mm -hmm. now there's a huge cottage industry of managed security services that are available to help small firms to keep the security controls in place for the cloud. So all, you know, we have to worry about is being a lawyer while we can outsource this function. And it, it does help with regard to our ethical duty. There's no obligation for us as lawyers to discharge this ethical duty of technology competence on our own. We can delegate that and hire somebody to do that for us. So so it's, it's interesting. What you're describing sounds to me kind of like I see those on the highway all the time, mini storage units. You can mm -hmm. go and buy either a big storage unit, and and if you're a rich highfalutin lawyer, you can store your boat there. If you're like me, you can get a small box for, you know, for keys or something like that, but or passports, I guess. But it, it sounds like what we're talking about here is like a storage unit, that each law Correct. office would get their own storage unit, but it's it's located it's located in this non-physical realm called the cloud. Uh, in a server Correct. someplace a virtual, else, is that? Sure, a virtual environment, yeah. And then when you're talking about public and private, the public is kind of like, all right, I'm leaving this out on a table somewhere for people to see versus private is, it's like a locked file cabinet or a locked box. That's- Correct. Is, is that is that kind of how it is? Okay, now, one thing that I, I did not hear in in your session was whether it is advisable to look for services whose servers are located strictly in the United States versus ones that might be overseas. This is something I, I come across sometimes, right? Where somebody says, well, where are your servers located? And I know you mm -hmm. guys only had an hour and this is a huge topic. So I'm not criticizing, mm -hmm. I'm not criticizing the, the panel at all. But now that we have a chance to kind of talk afterwards, do you think lawyers need to be cognizant of the locations of their servers? Or is it, are you strictly concerned about the security of the servers themselves, regardless of location? It depends on what kind of law and clients you, you have. Mm. Because there are many countries that do not allow copying of data. It, mm. For example, in Russia is a great mm. example. No one is allowed to copy data and then transfer it back to a server in any other country, including mm. the United States. So if, if your clients are, or you, have multiple locations that are out of country, then the jurisdictions of those other countries really determine whether it's acceptable to 
have a U.S. server only or whether you must subscribe to an out-of-country servers. So, for example, Amazon Web Service mm-hmm. um, in the U.S. has various locations, but many companies, your clients included, may insist that you have a, a server in the EU so that any data that relates to your activities and, you know, legal services in the EU are stored mm-hmm. in servers in that location, especially now since that actual, since that taping, Rocky, the um, Court of Justice in the EU invalidated the EU-US Privacy Shield. So transfers from the EU to the US are more complicated. So it's really even better mm-hmm. to have a server over there now if you relied on the Privacy Shield before. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so going strictly American on some of this may not always be the best thing. Just, I guess you have to look at that and you have to talk to your clients first before you really make a decision. And right. so it's, it's possible you may need to get cloud space in various servers in various countries, depending on the type of practice you have. Correct. Um, wow. Microsoft is located everywhere. There is zero sure. servers um, in Ireland, you know, are, are available. I want to go to Ireland. That sounds fun. But now, I I know. So let's talk for a second about about these these video conferencing platforms. You know, I I know we could keep talking about the cloud, and it's 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 a fascinating topic in and of itself. But then there was this other segment, which is video conferencing. So you and I are talking over Zoom, which, as as many of us know, is a web based platform. You know, it's it's been in the it's been in the news in the vernacular of late, but. Many lawyers might not understand the nuances of these platforms and cloud-based storage for that example. So I know in your panel, we talked a lot about video conferencing. Can you walk us through, of course, the benefits? Because as lawyers, we're always talking about risk and, oh, this is bad. Let's talk about the benefits. And then let's also talk about the risks and what we as lawyers need to be aware of when using these types of platforms. And I'm not just talking Zoom. It's it's all of these. So yeah, Elizabeth, if you could just kind of Walk us through the good and the bad on both of those. Absolutely. So, yes, it's great to start out with the benefits. And I think that you um, framed the discussion of what the benefits are when you made your introduction. Um, Basically, the legal industry in a virtual setting, in a remote environment, is probably here to stay for the foreseeable future. Law firms have already made a migration to hoteling. Uh, realizing that attorneys are not yet comfortable going in. Um, but when and if they do, um, they're checking in just like they would check into a hotel. So for all those other hours of their work time, they're going to be actually doing that remotely. And mm-hmm. the Zoom platform or any video conferencing platform is a huge benefit for us to connect to clients, to courts, um, and to various other um components of the the legal system so to speak the risk of having this in this incredible populated um, environment of attorneys using video conferencing is that not everyone is at the same maturity level that they need to be in order to have secure data being discussed on a video conferencing platform um, it's everything from needing to know the settings on your video conferencing platform, which ones are encrypted in the actual video conference, which ones are not. Just taking a crash course will help most attorneys eliminate those risks. 
to look at the settings, become intimately familiar with them, read updates to privacy policies when a video conferencing platform changes so that they can adapt to making their device as secure as possible during the, the conference. Are there specific steps or packages or things like that attorneys need to ask for when they're signing up for it? And it's not just Zoom, it's Microsoft Teams or Cisco WebEx, any right. of these. Are there specific packages or specific questions we should be asking or things that we should be looking for? Because you know, I can see a lot of us saying, I don't even know what encryption is, I don't know how to find it. You know, is there kind of a right. cut and dried, easy way to do it? So I, I, I know there's free versions of software, there's the paid versions, and then there's different tiers. So what should we as lawyers kind of be gravitating towards? Right. So this is, um, as you point out, this is a maturing industry. Even in the last six months, we've seen Zoom um, morph and evolve into a more secure platform after much scrutiny from regulators and, and others. So we've learned a lot at their expense about what to look for. And I, you know, in the profession of law, because even um, data that's not protected by law is protected by the attorney-client privilege. So mm -hmm. we have a higher standard, right? right? We also have the ethical duty of technology competence to be aware of quote-unquote relevant technology. Um, as we pointed out at the beginning of, of our um, chat is we have to be aware of the data we have in order to make those choices. So if I am in a practice of law that doesn't involve, let's say, a highly confidential intellectual property, um, maybe I'm just dealing with names and addresses on pleadings, it's a very routine practice, that data is going to require less security controls and, and protections than highly confidential data, HIPAA control data, for example, medical malpractice mm -hmm. lawsuits where, you know, whether I'm defending or on the plaintiff side. So it really depends. It requires every lawyer just to examine what data do I have? How much of that data am I going to be talking about on a routine basis when I have these Zoom calls? Um, how secure is my environment? And what are the expectations of my client? And so I think Making all of those a priority before selecting the package is critical. So, so you talked when it when you were discussing the the ethical duties, you were talking about taking reasonable steps, and I think that was that was the the term we used, taking reasonable steps for lawyers when using these platforms. So, I'm assuming what you just outlined were those reasonable steps. You've got to go in and see, do an assessment of the security. What level of security do you need for your practice? I mean, is there anything that, that we missed when we're talking about reasonable steps or was was that it, what you just described? I guess it probably would be best to frame it as a review of all the circumstances mm. that are surrounding you. So if, let's say, I'm in Flatonia, Texas, mm -hmm. and I have a very small general practice, I'm probating wills, maybe some oil and gas leases sure. versus... Being in a um, commercial litigation practice where all of my clients are financial services mm. institutions and, and I have access to all the very highly sensitive financial net worth um, information of the bank customers, then I'm going to need, to, you know, if I'm being scrutinized for whether right. I did the right thing, I'll be expected to spend more money and than someone who has a smaller practice who doesn't have the kind of budget, you know, that my my large law firm has. 
So it, the, I think that what the Texas Ethics Commission has said is that they do not expect perfect security, they just expect reasonable security. So many more questions. I mean, I, I know your, your panel was an hour and it flew by and it could have gone on for days and still, I'm sure, not covered everything. So it should come as no surprise that we're out of time and we've barely scratched the surface of any of this. But Elizabeth, thank you for, for being a part of this. No, I enjoy it. We're all learning about this together. We're all on the same team, on the same side. I'm glad to help. Absolutely. Well, again, it, thank you. This is this is an ongoing topic that many lawyers will need to continue continue learning about. And of course, I want to thank you for tuning in and encourage you not to miss next year's annual meeting. You get to hear cool stuff like this and you get to learn new things and and hopefully we'll be able to do it in person and get back to, you know, quote normal. Now, next year's annual meeting will be June 17th and 18th, 2021, in Fort Worth, Texas. Let's, again, let's hope and pray that we're in person. But before we sign off, please stay safe. Make sure to follow all applicable orders for dealing with COVID-19, and please advise your clients and loved ones to do the same. This situation is changing by the day, so please seek out legal counsel if you have a question. Now, if you like what you heard today, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember... Life's a journey, folks. I'm Rocky Deer, signing off for now. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Go to TexasBar.com slash podcasts. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find both the State Bar of Texas and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, the State Bar of Texas, Legal Talk Network, or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.